Welcome to Jane Unchained, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and JaneUnchained.com founder, Jane Velez Mitchell. In the next few minutes, you'll hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your life, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. Hello, I am so thrilled and excited to be here. And uh, let me tell you something. Uh, What you're going to hear today is truly uh, could make the difference between life on this planet surviving and not surviving. You know we're in a climate crisis right now, okay? We are seeing floods everywhere across Europe, Germany, Belgium, in China, in India, Every time I open up a news source, I see another tragic image or video of somebody drowning, people drowning, old people being dragged by their children on their shoulders trying to get away from the rising floodwaters. I wonder myself, do I need to move? Are the floodwaters going to sweep through where I am? But if I move inland, will wildfires get me? So, You might throw up your hands and say, oh, my gosh, I'm just going to watch Netflix because this is too overwhelming. But the good news is there is a solution. There is a way to turn this around. And it's something every single person has the power to do. And it's easy and it's fun. Oh, my gosh. Why is it uh, the mainstream media talking about this? Look at the TV commercials in between the segments and you'll see why. I was watching the Olympics And the amount of meat and dairy commercials, it was just nauseating. Tom Brady got up and is doing a commercial for Subway holding a turkey sandwich. The last I heard, he was plant-based. Why is he promoting turkey? Anyway, we've got something really fun coming up, and it's called Vegan World 2026 Convergence. Okay, I have attended some of these. I actually did a documentary about this called Countdown to Year Zero, which is on Amazon Prime and uh, stars our guest today. Okay, Countdown to Year Zero on Amazon Prime showcases the work of Dr. Silas Rao. And the tagline is, watch it before it's too late. So listen to Dr. Rao before it's too late because he has an answer. He is the person who has created Vegan World 2026. By way of introduction, Dr. Rao is a... Stanford-educated engineer and systems analyst who was instrumental in the acceleration of internet speeds. He's won numerous awards for his work in high tech. He then saw the climate crisis and said, oh my gosh, I've got to do something about it. Started working with Al Gore and then split from Al Gore because Al Gore won't discuss the one thing that everybody can do very easily to immediately begin to reverse climate change. That's when Dr. Rao started Climate Healers that's short time later, I ended up doing a documentary on him. We traveled to Costa Rica. We, we showed how a convergence works. And there's another convergence coming up. Now, if you've missed the one that's coming up, which is coming up just very shortly, uh, July 31st through August 1st, 2021, don't worry. You may be watching this if we're all still alive in 2023. There will be other convergences. The main thing is to go to climatehealers.org and sign up and be part of our movement to save the planet. And it's, it's really fun, too. I feel like I'm a member of a very fun club, the uh, Let's Save the World Club. 
So, Dr. Rao, are you ready for your introduction? Well, yes. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Jane. You're always such an inspiration to speak to. Well, Dr. Rao, you are my inspiration. Uh, that's why I did a documentary on you. Uh, you have said, and this is what blew my mind. I was at a sanctuary in Texas, and this guy who I'd never seen before <laughs> gets up and Nobody's paying attention because it's a big party and they're all eating and shopping. And he says, we're going to create a vegan world. We're going to do it by 2026. That's when we have to do it by. We know when we have to do it by. We know um, why we have to do it. We just have to figure out how. And when he said that, my brain exploded. And I was like, yes, somebody finally saying what we want to accomplish, what our mission is, and giving a deadline because you know nothing gets accomplished without a deadline. So Dr. Rao, tell us about the convergence and why you have created Vegan World 2026. Thank you so much. Yeah, the, uh, I call it a lifeline, not a deadline. You know, this is, a, this is a way to revive and to thrive on planet Earth. And the convergence is happening, happens every three months. Typically the last weekend of uh, January, uh, April, July, and October. So this is happening July 31st, August 1st. Uh, only in October, we are going to do it one weekend before because uh, I have to travel to COP26. At least I'm planning to go to COP26 in Glasgow, which starts on November 1st, which is World Vegan Day. And we think it's very appropriate that it's starting on World Vegan Day. So we need to bring the vegan message to COP26. And so that's for why you don't know COP26 and think it's some kind of action crime movie, tell us what <laughs> COP26 is. <laughs> yeah, COP26 is Conference of the Parties, the 26th Conference of the Parties. Now, what are the parties? Well, these are the ones who have signed on to the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change. And so this is the... Uh, UNFCCC, which started in 1992. So they have met 26 times to figure out what to do about climate change. And these are the nations of the world who have signed on to it. Everyone has signed on to it. Everyone has agreed not to let the, the climate of the planet go haywire. Okay, so, so they have all agreed to it. It's just that they're not really doing it. They're, they've been doing the exact opposite for the last 30 years because uh, Literally, the greenhouse gas emissions on the planet has been going up, not down, and going up at a faster rate than ever before. So if they had started out by saying, we're going to mess up the climate really fast, they couldn't have done a better job than what they're doing now. So if you ask, why are they so incompetent? Are they incompetent or are they just deliberately not doing anything? And I discovered, actually, they're, they're not incompetent. They're just doing what they're, they've been asked to do, which is to grow the economy and to keep the Ponzi scheme going, uh, which is what they're doing. So it's an ecological Ponzi scheme that they're running. And so they're all playing roles in that game. They're like the Bernie Madoffs of the ecological Ponzi scheme. And so uh, this is why I started Vegan World 2026 and Climate Healers, I mean, because I'm looking at how to heal the climate as opposed to play the old game of Monopoly, the old game of uh, the ecological Ponzi scheme. So. We are figuring out, okay, what is the real solution? And I'm an engineer. And engineers, I mean, this is what we are trained to do. We are trained to figure out solutions to problems and to figure out solutions that actually work in the real world. And so that's what I set out to do. And in fact, my granddaughter pushed me into doing it because <laughs> I was reading her a story in bed one day 
this was soon after the World Wildlife Fund Living Planet report had come out in 2016. So my granddaughter was five years old at that time. And the 2016 report, I think, came out in August or September of 2016. And it said that between 1970 and 2012, 58% of all wild vertebrates disappeared. And it had been 52% in 2010. So from 52%, it went to 58% in just two years. And I was just doing this calculation saying, wait a minute, 3% per year, how many more years do we have before we wipe them all out if we keep going at the current rate? And it turned out to be 16 years. So th by 2026, we are on track to wipe them all out. All, all wildlife vertebrates essentially, with right. the exception presumably of rats and squirrels and other animals that right. have learned to survive in our midst. And of course, we have the greatest contempt for the animals who are smart enough to survive in our midst, which is another irony. But we're going to wipe out all the wildlife. Right. And that's why you said Vegan World 2026, because if we allow that to happen, we are going to hit a point of no return, an ecological tipping point that is going to spell doom for us. Connect the dots. Why is it when all animals go, which is horrific, and of course, yeah. Not all animals, because we're going to have all these factory farmed animals that are, uh, pardon me, raped into existence. That's the truth. Right. Um, they are forcibly impregnated. So we got 80 billion animals that were forcibly land animals alone, forcibly impregnated into existence. Cows, pigs, chickens, turkeys, goats and lambs. And then we've got all the wildlife that we're wiping out. And so what's going to happen if we get to 2026 and there's no wildlife left, Dr. Rao? Well, we cannot allow that to happen. Okay, so that's my, my pledge to my granddaughter is that I'm not going to allow that to happen. I'm going to do my job, which is to create a vegan world by 2026. So I said, I have, we have no choice but to get to a vegan world by 2026. To me, 2026 is like a wall. You know, it's like a wall on a freeway. Someone put a, some joker put a wall on the freeway and you're driving a car at 90 miles an hour and you see the wall in front of you. Do you still put your, keep your foot on the accelerator or do you take it off and put it on the brakes? Okay, so that's what we are facing. Okay, we, are, we can't be dummies going and hitting a wall okay, and, and then discovering what will happen to us if we hit the wall. Um, no, <laughs> I want us to be smart as a species and figure out how to avoid the wall and how to turn around, you know? And so that's why I say we get to a vegan world by 2026, we would have turned it around. And so this is what drives me, okay? Because as you said, you know, if you don't have a time schedule for when we have to achieve what we really want, we will never work towards getting it done. If you say, you know, we'll get to 50% reduction of meat by 2050 or 2060 or something like that, it's so far off, people will say, well, you know, we're doing what, the best we can. <laughs> and there is no sense of urgency. For the animals, there's a sense of urgency right now. They're going to tell you, stop it right now. You know, stop killing us right now. And, um, and, and yet we are going ahead and killing them. We are just, you know, I, I'm going to give a uh, talk during the convergence on how to read UN statistics. Because as an engineer, you know, I'm trained to read statistics and to see through the biases in the statistics, which is what I had to do which is why I wrote that paper, you know, the 87% uh, paper. It was by deducing from the biases in the statistics, 
what the real truth is, which is what we engineers are trying to do. So I'm going to uh, give a presentation on how to read UN statistics and you will see how much they have been trying to hide, you know, even in climate science. So it's not like it's only in nutrition science and in medical science that they're lying to us. And in climate science, they don't ever lie to us. And excuse me, <laughs> this industry lies <laughs> any which way it can in order to grow its business. All industries do that. This is the system we have, right? It's all about how do you market your products? How do you make sure that more and more people buy your products? And how do you keep pretending that it's not really hurting anybody? And that's what they've been doing, yeah. Yes, so we are here with Dr. Silas Rao. He's one of my heroes. In fact, I did a documentary about him that's on Amazon Prime. It's called <laughs> <laughs> Countdown to Year Zero. And the tagline is, watch it before it's too late. And we outline this entire uh, warning, call to humanity. We've got to get it together at the rate we're killing animals, we'll have virtually no wildlife vertebrates left in 2026. That's a very short time from now. Imagine a world with no elephants and no zebras and no giraffes and no koala bears. I mean, it's a dystopia, but we're starting to see the dystopia right now. The good news is if we all get together and come up with a way to achieve a vegan world by 2026, we can avoid that because the, the entire earth is being given a buzz cut. Okay, right. we're cutting down the forest in order to provide cattle grazing land and also to grow crops to feed 80 billion animals. When you fly across on a plane and you look down, you see all that farmland, you might say, oh, isn't that wonderful? We're feeding people. But a huge percentage of that farmland is actually feeding farmed animals. More than 75% of soy produced is fed to farmed animals. This is true with a lot of commodity crops. Now, why is that important and why does that connect to climate change? because trees absorb carbon. If we destroy all the trees, which we're doing right now in the Amazon, we're doing it in Canada, we're doing it in Russia, we're doing it all over the world, and here in the United States, right now I'm fighting to try to save the Biona wetlands right here in Los Angeles. They wanna bulldoze the entire thing. LA's last coastal wetlands, home to 1,700 species, and they have the nerve to call it a restoration. They're gonna bulldoze the whole thing for 10 years, and they're gonna put it in a park, basically, and uh, they're calling it a restoration. No, they're, they're just turning a wetlands, the last place for these animals to live, into a park. And what's going to happen to those 1,700 species? Okay, they say, oh, they'll go across the street. Where? To the Home Depot parking lot? No, that's a fantasy. They don't care about those animals. Right. So this is happening all over. It's happening in Florida, where they try to build a bike path across Alligator Alley. I used to live in Florida. You can barely drive across Alligator Alley. It's so hot. Much less, there's probably four people in America who can bike across Alligator Alley. It's all about handing out contracts. Follow the money. We're, the money. We are coming up with... See, the trouble is that people who look at land that is not being exploited by humans as a waste, yes. that land is holding animals who live there. That's the wildlife. And we're destroying that land everywhere. And people don't care. But now it's coming back to bite us. We've got two wildfires that connected right here in California where I live. We are going up in flames. Wake up. As Greta Thunberg said, our house is on fire. And the one thing we could do very easily to immediately begin to reduce the Earth's temperature is for all of us to go plant-based. 
I'm plant-based, I'm healthy. In fact, the biggest complaint I get from people is too much energy, calm down <laughs> and lower your voice, okay? <laughs> so um, there's millions of people like Dr. Rao and I who are not eating animals and our health statistics are better than the norm. Just read the China study. You know, and now they're trying to export this bad habit, the meat and dairy industry, to China, to India, to all these places that were primarily plant-based. They're trying to turn them into animal-eating cultures, just like when Americans got hip to cigarette smoking, they started exporting it to other countries. And it's uh, what Dr. Rao describes as colonialism. So we're going to get together at this convergence, you can go to climatehealers.org and sign up now, climatehealers.org, sign up. And whenever you're watching this, there's gonna be another convergence. So just sign up and you will be part of it. It's like a club, it's a club to save the planet. So Dr. Rao, tell us, what would you say is a pitch to people watching if they love animals, if they want the planet to survive about why they should sign up for this convergence that you are holding and that you hold on a regular basis. So anytime you're watching this, if the planet is still in existence and we're still alive, you can attend the convergence. Go ahead, doctor. Yeah, the, the, the reason to join the convergence and to start working on solutions is that when you start working on positive things and po on creating something new and creating something uh, that uh, is based on the values that we hold dear, you know, where animals are treated as uh, with respect and we are all, so we are trying to build a system of normal non-violence as opposed to a system of normalized violence that we have today. Because uh, when we create, when we are working on something new, it brings out the best in us. It brings out the best in us. It brings out our compassion. It brings out our energy of creativity. Okay, We are creating something as opposed to fighting something that's going wrong right now, which brings out, you know, I mean, which we have to do as well. But unless you're also working on solutions, that's a very draining energy. And if you have to keep fighting something bad that's going on, I say, okay, go fight something, that's, but come and join us so we can create something new. And so when we do that, then we are saying, okay, there is another solution out there. So it's like, you know, here's, here's the light at the end of the tunnel and we are going towards that light. And I'm saying, come along, you know, all of us, let's figure out what is the best way to create a way of living in which we, each person reads their ordinary lives and the planet thrives. Imagine a way of life like that, okay? We lead the ordinary lives and the planet is thriving. And why can't we do that? We have the intelligence to figure out how to do it. So of course we can do it. So this is when, I, you know, when I look at any engineering problem, I always start by saying, is it feasible to create this solution? And once you establish that it is feasible to create a solution, I begin with the assumption that that solution is done. Okay. Ooh, whoa, wow, that's heavy. In other words, you're starting with you've already achieved the goal? Yes. Why? I, why? Because, you know, if I start working on, say, gigabit Ethernet, you know, when I worked on gigabit Ethernet or... Uh, the uh, turning the internet digital, right? The internet communication digital. When I started that project, I looked at whether it's feasible to do it. And once I established that it's feasible, I assume that that solution is done. 
And then I work my way backwards to figure out how to get there. What are the obstacles to it? And how do I overcome those obstacles, right? Because if I start off by, you know, I'm leading this project. And if I start off by saying, oh, it cannot be done. I don't know if I'll get it done. Right. <laughs> my right. team will have this negative energy saying, oh my God, he doesn't think it can be done, <laughs> right? And so why should I put my effort into it? No, 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 no. That's not how you lead teams. That's not how you lead a project. You always start by saying, it is done. In my mind, it's already done. Okay. It's already done. The vegan world is already there in 2026 in my mind. And so I even tell people, you know, people say who argue with me that, oh, it's not 87%. It's probably going to be 60% or 50% or whatever. I tell them, look, you are going to find out in 2027, whether it's 87% or not. Well, and let's not even quibble about the numbers. Good-hearted people can disagree. Nobody is disputing that it's a a major cause. Animal agriculture is a major leading cause of climate change. We can quibble about the numbers because it's such a big subject. It can be analyzed a zillion different ways. But nobody is arguing that it's not a factor. It is a huge factor. And it's something that each and every person can do. I can't, I just heard about refrigeration. Refrigeration apparently is a big climate change problem. But it's a lot harder for me to say, uh, I'm not gonna use coolant in my car. I'm not gonna use a refrigerator. That would have a massive impact on my life. I've got a lot of food in the refrigerator that would go bad. I don't have meat or dairy but I still have food in the refrigerator and uh, my vegan ice cream would melt pretty quickly. So um, the one thing I can do though is switch to plant-based. Now, what do I have in my refrigerator? I've got Beyond Meat burgers. If I feel like a burger, I've got vegan cheeses. I've got vegan ice cream. I've got vegan sour cream. I've got vegan cream cheese. I've got vegan mayonnaise. It sounds like all I eat are these very fattening things. No. Actually, thanks to Dr. Rao's inspiration during the pandemic, I decided to use it as an opportunity for change. And I'm eating a a much more whole food plant-based diet with kale and potatoes and brown rice and broccoli and corn and carrots and and beans and things of that nature. And then I put a little bit of those other things on as dressing. but the point is that it's not a sacrifice for me. It's not a sacrifice. I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying right. cooking now. Right. I'm really understanding that fast food is really, I think, the biggest problem that we face. Mm-hmm. I realize that food should be a process. You, mm-hmm. the, the making of the food is also the process of enjoying the food. Right. And so it's part of a whole continuum. If we just say, okay, I'm hungry. I want food right in front of me right now. I'm going to eat it. And that's it. It kind of robs us of the whole experience of we are, they say we're hunter gatherers. I think one of the reasons why people go out and want to shop so much is that it's their, it's their modernized way of, of hunting and gathering. And, and it's, it's like you're going out and grabbing things. Cause I've experienced that myself uh, where I go somewhere and I'm like, oh, this is fun to gather these things and put them in my shopping cart. And sometimes that's okay if I really need them. If I'm going overboard and getting things I don't need because I'm having this pleasure out of acquisition, then that becomes the problem. So um, I, I think that 
The Vegan World 2026 concept is a huge breakthrough. Now, one of the big challenges is that the mainstream media is not reporting on this. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, when the World Health Organization rec recently came out and said, we have to eliminate all wild animals from all wet markets, and there are a zillion wet markets. There's almost 100, at least 100 in New York City alone. Those are retail slaughter markets where you go up and say, I want to kill that chicken or that animal. And they slaughter them right in front of you and they hand you the carcass. And some people think that's, that's a, a really great experience. It's a nightmare for the animals. Obviously, they're killed. And it, to me, it's horrifying and barbaric and primitive. Nonetheless, um, the World Health Organization said, we have to stop putting wild animals in these wet markets. This wasn't long ago. Crickets. Yes, there were some wire services that reported on it, but did the major, did MSNBC, CNN, or um, I didn't even see it in the New York Times. I mean, they ignore, okay? They ignore anything that points to animal agriculture as the problem. There are notable exceptions. Actually, CNN did some very good reporting on the wet market in China immediately after the story of of uh, the the Wuhan uh, slaughterhouse uh, being an apparent vector for this um, horrible disease came up. But um, by the way, this is a tangent, but Dr. Rao, you've said it really doesn't matter whether it came from a lab or whether it came from a slaughterhouse, because in both cases, it involves the abuse of animals. In one case, it would be um, obviously the wild animals that are sold in the Wuhan market, in the other case, it's the bats that they stole from nature and that they were experimenting on in the lab. So either way, it involves the abuse of animals is at the heart of this global pandemic. We're going to get to uh, the callers right now. We've got Paula on hold. Your question or thought for Dr. Rao. Paula. Yes, hi. Uh, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Hi, Dr. Rao. Hi, Jane. Okay, so I was listening to um, an interview, Russell Brand and Dr. Bandana Shiva. You're mm -hmm. no doubt familiar with her? Mm -hmm. Yes, I am. Okay. Um, she's like a thought leader, and her whole thing is food is everything. And she was talking about uh, Bill Gates' new book. She was saying it was rubbish. Um, I wanted to ask you how you... Uh, and it, I mean, I used to hang on every word she would say until I realized that she's, she's very, still very anthropocentric and that she believes that animals should still be used. And she believes that we should, she's against uh, ending factory farming by way of all the innovations going on with meat substitutes. And she feels that we should go back to traditional animal husbandry, which blows my mind. Uh, I want to know how you feel about that, how you feel about Bill Gates investing. In, I mean, he's kind of a mixed, gives a mixed message. And, and her point is that uh, with him, we're heading towards some kind of totalitarianism. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's the gist of what she's saying, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, she's right about her analysis of uh, Bill Gates, but she's not right about her analysis of uh, traditional animal husbandry. So we just wrote a paper. Uh, it's called uh, the, the Ethical Vegetarian Myth. And it's published on our website, climatehealers.org. Yeah, under the science tab, you can look at uh, the Ethical Vegetarian Myth paper. 
and it's a co-author with Professor Lisa Barka of the Arizona State University, and we are pointing out why uh, that's a myth to think that going back to traditional animal husbandry is going to um, be sustainable. It's not. Not with 7.8 billion people and the kind of consumption we are doing right now. Absolutely not. So therefore, um, that being the case, you know, she's not right about that. But you know, I take, I take the truth comes from everybody. So I'm listening to her and I'm taking what she's saying or Bill Gates and saying, you're absolutely right. That makes sense. I'll take that from her. But, um, but the other things I'm going to take from those who know. You know, so no one really has all the answers. And all we are doing as systems uh, specialists, as systems engineers, is to take the best of everything and figure out a, a coherent story uh, that works for everyone. And so well, that's a solution. That's how we do solutions. That was very really diplomatic of you, Dr. Rao. I would say that I see an inherent contradiction between people who say they're spiritual just like people who say they're environmentalists, just like people who say they're conservationists, and they are proactively killing animals and advocating for the killing of animals. And there's something called spiritual materialism. When people are turning their, spirit, their so-called spirituality into a brand, I grab my wallet and I run in the other direction. And I'm not condemning all those people, but I mean, look at the Pope. Genesis Butler, who was, the, was one of the or the youngest TEDx talker, went to the Pope and said, go vegan for Lent. And do you know what he chose to give up instead? Gossip. Meanwhile, he is named after the patron saint of animals and has talked about the importance of compassion for animals. And yet he eats veal. So there's a wild disconnect and hypocrisy amongst quote unquote spiritual leaders mm -hmm. and uh, so uh, I think you were very diplomatic in your answer. I'm not quite as diplomatic. I say, shame on you. Shame on you, because this is pretty obvious. You don't have to be an expert in quantum physics to figure out 7.9 billion people eating 80 billion animals a year is not sustainable. And uh, that we're heading toward, we are in a crisis point. It's not even heading toward. I, I just when I was pulling in today, I uh, heard a story about a girl who had water up to her knees who was on her phone calling for help. And by the time help arrived, she, had, she was gone. This is not happening in some faraway place. I think it's happening in your state, Arizona. I don't know exactly where, but it was in the United States. But there's flooding in Arizona. I mean, Arizona is like the driest place on earth and there's flooding. There's flooding everywhere now because I learned that when it gets hotter, the atmosphere holds more water, and that leads to enormous forceful downpours. And so add that to the drought and the wildfires and all the other cataclysmic things that are happening. We've got another caller. We've got Sarah on hold. Your question or thought for Dr. Ryle, Sarah. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. yes. Hi, this question is for Dr. Silas Rao. My question is, what do you see or can you even think about the slaughterhouses? They have supposedly the highest rates of COVID with the outbreaks and with these variants that keep coming down, even though people have gotten vaccines. What do you think that people are going to make the connection that the problem is where it's coming from, the animals, and how even if they're not caring about animals, 
Yeah. Do you think they could somehow relate it to their health at all? Because it seems like it just keeps going in the same direction if they just keep eating animals and they're not getting better. What yeah. do you say? Yeah, you're absolutely right, Sarah. I mean, it is, and but it, the real the consciousness is being raised right now. Okay, people are seeing it. I see it in my uh, in my signal groups. Like I have a signal group that I belong to, of all my classmates from uh, from India. And you know, a couple of years ago, if I had uh, posted some of the things I post today, they would have told me go away. <laughs> you know, but now there's reception. They're receptive to the message because they know. You know, so the more and more people are speaking out in the group that because fundamentally they know, you know, you can put two and two together. You can say, well, you know, if you pack animals all together, they're going to transmit viruses among themselves much faster. Isn't that why we socially distance ourselves to prevent the virus from spreading? But when it comes to a slaughterhouse, we do the exact opposite. And then we have people standing right next to each other, chopping body parts off. And obviously, they're going to spread the virus. And they're going to have, and as the virus gets into the animals and then it mutates and comes back to us, you're going to have different variants. So yeah, the variants are all, you know, I mean, we have a, we are running an experiment where we are trying to see, oh, what can you do to us, right? So we are trying to defy nature, telling nature, hey, what are you going to do? Are you going to keep doing the, uh, so we basically are running a war on nature. And I tell people, you know, when you run a war on nature, you're going to lose. And this is nature burning down our house. Nature is now at the gates of, think of, think of the allies at the gates of Berlin, right? Burning down the gates of Berlin. That's what's happening now. Nature is at our gates burning it down and saying, are you going to give up or not? Stop fighting a war on nature. Figure out that you're part of nature and you have to be in alignment with nature. And we need to figure out uh, how to live in harmony with nature. Because when you start being in harmony with nature, which is what the vegan movement is trying to do, when you live in harmony with nature, nature is on our side. When you're fighting nature, nature is opposed to us. And you can never win that war because ultimately we are part of nature. So we have to come into alignment with nature and, and allow nature to heal herself. It's just like what we do with diabetes, right? So diabetes, if you're taking metformin all the time, you're trying to fight the diabetes with a drug. You'll never cure the diabetes. But when we start eating whole food plant-based diet, you begin to cure the diabetes. And you'll see that you don't really need the metformin anymore once you start, once you've cured your diabetes. So it's how do you address diseases, right? So right now we have a system that focuses on the metformin. That, that's where the money is being made. If people start taking whole food plant-based diet and get, get rid of their diabetes, all these pharmaceutical companies are going to go out of business, right? They know that. You actually said something else that I put in the documentary is a couple of things. Our system makes money off of death, disease, and dying. Death for the animals, disease for the humans, and the planet is dying. And that is the model that we're working off of. Yeah. Also, a model of dominance, that we have the right, the arrogance of the human species. Hopefully, the pandemic has humbled people, but I don't know. I really don't know, um, because I always use the addiction formula. A lot of times when you tell an addict, you should stop drinking, you should stop drugging, they go out and they binge. 
because defiance is a hallmark of addiction. The rules don't apply to me. I'm different, and they call it terminally unique. The word terminal being a lot of times those who insist on drinking and drugging no matter what die. Uh, And so this is what we're seeing now. We're seeing like the meat and dairy addicts out on a binge. And I I really got hit with that watching the Olympics and all the, the commercials. I mean, it was disgusting. And they sexualize meat. They go real and close and they know how to shoot it in a way that makes it seem like it'll activate your taste buds and that it's somehow it's a seduction. That's what that's why I think the the younger people are the solution because they don't watch television. <laughs> you can't get thank God, right? All right, we've got another caller, Annie on hold. We're talking to Dr. Rao, by the way. We're urging you to sign up at climatehealers.org for the upcoming convergence. And there's always an upcoming convergence. So whenever you see this, it's not too late. You just go to Climate Healers. Think of healing the climate, climatehealers.org and sign up. Annie, your question or thought for Dr. Rao? Uh, Hi, yes. Um, Thank you for having me, Jane. You you do such an amazing job. Dr. Rao, incredible the way you handle. People always are trying to find divergence to trying to solve and heal uh, the formula that Dr. Rao has already, and that is something that we already have control over. Our food system, immediately eating uh, and, and changing our ways. How can we reach the bigger volume of people with this incredible message and, and for them not to be so resistant and, and, you know, to the addiction of wanting to find a quick, you know, solution, moving away, oh, yeah, fossil fuel is the problem, and moving on and sitting and eating an animal. This is a challenge uh, as a person protesting all, you know, practically every day (laughs) doing this. Um, I find that is the hard part. Like when you go and see people sitting outside and eating animal carcasses, as if nothing has happened, the pandemic had passed by 100 years ago, when it's still at our feet, in a a worse way even, uh, you know, the Delta and variants and all that. As we know, it's a Excellent question. Yeah, thank you, Annie. I mean, you know, Jane had talked about the addiction metaphor. I mean, it's not a metaphor. It is real. There is an addiction that is underlying the behavior or behavior because we have a system that relies on creating addiction. That's how you hook people into coming and buying your products over and over, right? You have to addict them to your products. So we have a system that's based on addiction. And so... I use the addiction metaphor, I mean, uh, also, and I tell a story about what really happened to me. So I was addicted to cigarettes, okay? And when when my mother found out, she got so upset because she said that I was a twin and that I barely could breathe when I was a baby. And my twin actually passed away at birth, okay? So... So my twin was stillborn. So and I and so I was the one who survived, and I could barely breathe. And she said she had to put lotion on my chest and massage my chest. I used to get frequent asthma attacks as a baby, and so on. And she said, "You are smoking. Are you out of your mind? I mean, I did so much to to help you survive, and you're smoking now." And so I tried to quit 
for her sake, I tried to quit. Several times I tried. I tried nicotine gum, nicotine patches. I mean, I tried hypnosis. I tried all kinds of things to quit. And then in 1997, at the age of 60, my mother died in her sleep. And I quit instantly. I quit instantly because that was the only thing she ever asked me to do. And I didn't do it. And my heart was broken. So I quit instantly. And that time when I quit, nothing could make me smoke again. Okay? It was something internally switched. And I was absolutely determined to quit. And I quit for her sake. And just in, in her memory, okay? Because I was heartbroken that I didn't do it when she was alive. Because she would have been so happy if I had done it when she was alive. And I use this story to tell people, this is what drives me right now. What drives me is that I don't want us to wait until our Mother Earth is dying and dead before we quit our addiction. We have to recognize that we have been addicted. It's not our fault. We have a system like that. We have a system that addicts us. Okay? It's not your fault that you're addicted. We are all addicted to one or the other, some behavior or the other, because that's how the system works. So let's figure out how to overcome our addiction. Let's create a system first that doesn't depend on addiction at all okay? for, for business, for commerce to work. You don't have to do commerce through addiction. You can do other things, other motivations for, for doing businesses and doing commerce. And so let's create a system like that, which is what we are doing in the Vegan World 2026 Convergences, and then simultaneously help people overcome their addiction. And what is the best way to help people overcome their addiction? Give them the food. So meaning if I had, you know, if, if we had had free nicotine gum, nicotine patches were free, if, uh, if uh, um, hypnosis was free, maybe I would have done it, I don't know, you know. And if I had better education, people telling me, hey, dude, don't smoke because it's not good for you. So if we had to have, you know, if we have to tell people, look, eating animals is not only bad for the animals, it's bad for you, it's bad for the planet, it's bad for your children, it's bad for everybody, okay? It's, it must be very clear by now. And I tell you, Jane, I mean, I see you, I see Jane Unchained News as the mainstream media. You are the mainstream media of the future. Those guys in my mind are already dead. MSNBC, CNN, they're all gone because they are the old model. Yeah? They are the model that depends on addiction. And you are doing something new. You are doing something that is the, the mainstream media of the vegan world. That's what you're doing. Well, thank you, Dr. Rao. And uh, I appreciate it. I, I'd like to see them stay around and just evolve. That would be my uh, first choice. I admire news. I was in news for 38 years. Mm -hmm. And um, the New York Times every so often goes back and reviews articles that they reported on that were horribly prejudiced, either against women, against African-Americans, against various uh, groups of people. And they sort of say, shame on me. And they look back and they say, whoa, what a horrible, uh, some of the first uh, women suffragettes uh, efforts were ridiculed in the New York Times and dismissed. And uh, of course, they overlooked the achievements of many African-Americans who had done extraordinary things and women uh, and African-American women uh, and other minorities. Um, they just ignored them. 
as if they'd never happened. So they go back and they look. They will, if the New York Times is still around, go back and look at their coverage or lack of coverage of this issue and do a shame on me. And I just hope that the paper and the planet is around for them to do that because they've really dropped the ball. This is the story of our generation. And while there is the occasional Nicholas Kristof article, as he recently did an opinion piece on Costco chickens bred to grow so large that if they were uh, a, a human child, I forget what it is. If they were a human child, they'd be 600 pounds by the age of blah, blah, blah. Yeah, one year or something. Yeah. Um, It's 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 a monstrosity. It's grotesque. And the idea that people think that's great. Oh, I'm going to eat that is also grotesque. But they haven't thought about it. This is a, a, a thoughtless, this, you have to stay thoughtless. And I think in our convergence coming up, we should just really hone in on the addiction model more because as you were talking, you know, I'm a recovering alcoholic, 26 years sober. And I, I only got, I only went vegan after I got sober uh, because I had more clarity. Before that, I was kind of, I love animals, yeah. You know, um, and uh, so, what they say in in um, recovery is they talk about the gift of desperation. Mm-hmm. If if you have that's why codependents who cover up for the addict or the alcoholic are so damaging because they provide a safety net. Right. And um, often when the the codependent gets help and says, you know what, you're on your own. I'm not going to tell your boss. I'm not going to lie for, to your boss for you anymore. And uh, why you didn't show up. I'm not going to pretend you had a cold or your car broke down or whatever the story. No, I'm done. That's often when the actual addict, knowing all of a sudden, wow, I don't have a safety net. That's when they sometimes get sober. So um, I think that it's really interesting to look at. And I also had a psychic shift. I was a person who could not go a day without drinking. I would say every morning, I'm not going to drink. And every night, I would drink. And, uh, you know, sometimes I kept it together. I never got a DUI, but I embarrassed myself at parties. That was my specialty, humiliating myself at parties. Uh, I mean, some people talk about drinking, you know, and the, they'd stay at home and they'd isolate. I wish I would do a performance. Anyway, uh, the point is that I, I had tried many times to quit alcohol and failed, mm-hmm. but... The time I actually did it was when I hit bottom after making a fool of myself at a party in Hollywood, and I had an epiphany. And the epiphany was, A, being an alcoholic, because once a cucumber never, uh, once a pickle never again a cucumber, as they say, it's not so bad. Like, acknowledge what you are. Mm -hmm. And two, um, it's not that I won't drink today, it's that I don't have to drink today. Exactly. Totally different mentality. So when we approach people and say, you can't eat meat, no, that's terrible. You don't have to eat the carcass of a dead animal. You don't have to drink the hormone and cholesterol-filled breast milk of a cow. Right. It's grotesque when you really think about it. And so uh, um, that's what we really need to change. We've got another caller. And so we could talk about that at the convergence. Break it down. How do we get people to have that psychic shift? Michael, your question or thought for Dr. Rao. Yeah, good morning, Dr. Rao. Good morning, Jane. Uh, can you guys hear me? Yes. Oh, okay. Sorry, I'm out walking my dog. I wasn't sure. Um, 
Yeah, you know what? I just wanted to ask Dr. Rao, what is the significance of the year 2026? I know that mm-hmm. it's mentioned often in Jane's excellent documentary, Countdown Year 2026, uh, Countdown Year mm-hmm. Zero, actually. But what is the significance of that particular year, and what will happen uh, if we don't change our habits? Yeah, well, see, the significance of that uh, year was that I had just finished calculating that at the rate at which we were killing wild vertebrates, we are on track to wipe out 100% of them by 2026, almost 100%, because it's not a straight line, but it's an exponential curve. And typically it goes up, not down, you know? So I said, definitely by 2026, we have to to be doing something different. And I had just finished uh, calculating that and that evening, I was reading a story to my granddaughter in bed. And at the end of the story, she asked me, so grandpa, who are the first human beings? And I tried to explain to her how, how evolution works because I promised her that I'll never, ever lie to her. Okay? So I told her, okay, imagine that you're standing on the street and you're holding your mother by your hand and you ask your mother to bring her mother to stand by her side and so on. So create a long line of mothers on this side of the street and on the other side of the street, you ask a chimpanzee to do the same thing with her mother and her grandmother and so on. By the time these two lines go from Phoenix to Tucson, they would merge because both lines are going to say, oh, that's my mother too. Immediately, she just sat up in bed and she said, what? Are you telling me that animals are my family? And I said, yeah, now that you put it that way, they are your family. And then she asked me, then why are people eating my family? Grandpa, make them stop. And she started bawling. You know, people are eating my family. And she was horrified at the thought that people are eating her family. And she was naming names of people she knows who are eating her family. And I was trying to console her. And I was trying to tell, you know, tell her, look, Kimaya, this is what I do. In fact, I'm trying to make them stop. In fact, it's my job to make them stop. And when I said it's my job to make them stop, she stopped crying. She looked at me wide-eyed. She said, this is your job? This is your job? You know, you haven't done your job. So when will you do your job? And I blurted out, I better do it by 2026. Otherwise, we are all in big trouble. (laughs) And she said, will you promise me that? And I said, okay, I'll promise you that. Then she said, will you give me a pinky promise? And I said, okay, I'll give you a pinky promise. And I had no idea what it meant. So we gave a pinky promise. And then she told me, you can never, ever break a pinky promise. And then she went to sleep. And that was it. I realized I had made a very serious promise to a young girl, and I better figure out how to keep it, okay? And so that's the origin of the Vegan World 2026 project. And, um, and I wake up every day thinking of that promise. I wake up every day thinking about how am I going to keep that promise? Because to me, it is sacred. It's a sacred promise that my generation made to her generation, that we are gonna sort this out. We are gonna leave a world that is thriving, for our grandchildren, okay? That's our job. Now, we're trying to urge everybody who's listening and watching to go to climatehealers.org, with an S, climatehealers, because it's gonna take all of us healers, climatehealers.org, sign up for the convergence. And uh, we haven't even gotten to some of the details here printed on recycled paper, but to make this happen, we're going to have to go from destruction and pollution to regeneration and remediation, from death and cruelty to love and kindness, from the culture of consumption, which we did cover a little bit, to the culture of compassion, from the mindset of scarcity to radical sacredness, 
which uh, I think very simply, correct me if I'm wrong, we've only got three minutes left. It's basically that we could live in a world of natural abundance where everybody has what they need to eat, a roof over their head, if we stop creating artificial scarcity, because it takes eight to 15 or 25 pounds of grain to make a pound of beef. So how do you create scarcity? You grow animals and you feed them the food so that other people starve so you can charge more for the food. Okay, so it's artificial scarcity. If we eliminated animal agriculture, children who are dying right now, as we speak of malnutrition, would not be dying because we'd have an abundance of food. We're only 7.9 billion humans. The cows and the pigs and the chickens are eating. They're 80 billions of, 80 billion of them we kill every year. And Dr. Rouse said something else. We kill more animals in 12 hours than all the human beings who have died in all the wars in human history. Think about it. It's morally wrong. I don't care what your religion is. What would Jesus say? You know, this is, is, is madness, and it's only been around for 100 years. This isn't even our tradition. Modern-day agriculture started 100 years ago. We didn't have fast food when I was a little kid in 1955. We didn't, I was born in 55. We didn't have fast food. I'll never forget my parents were pescatarians. We went once to a McDonald's and we ordered French fries, which, by the way, I believe have meat in them. So don't go, don't go to McDonald's. Actually, sign the change.org petition that Kathy Freston has demanding a plant-based option. Uh, I just signed it this morning and donated to it to get more people to sign it. But uh, we can discuss all this at the Convergence. So, Dr. Rao, uh, there's more. There's from disease to health, we covered that a little bit, from money-driven economy to a service-driven economy, and from speciesism and colonialism to radical sacredness. Wow, you are brilliant. I'm going to give you the last minute. Take it away. Thank you, Jane, as always. You bring it all together. You make it very clear. You're one of the best journalists I've ever spoken to. You know, I really admire your your ability to simplify things and explain it in a way that everyone can understand. And it's a it's always a pleasure to be on your show. So thank you so much for having me. And I look forward to seeing all of you at the Convergence. So, and I'll just say thank you. And right back at you, Dr. Rao. You're the only person, I've, except for my mother, that I've done a documentary on. So that makes two, my mother and you. <laughs> um, but um, the Convergence is fun. That's the other thing. Brain teaser, intellectually challenging, dynamic. There is argument and counter argument. We don't have to agree on everything. People can agree, respect, disagree respectfully. So you get to come up with solutions and be a part of this really intellectually stimulating um, weekend. So go to climatehealers.org, sign up. Doesn't mean you have to attend the entire weekend. I'm going to take a break to walk my dogs and do a couple of other things. And I'm also speaking. I'm going to speak for an hour. I don't know if that's going to scare people away. Um, but uh, yes, it's, it's fun. And then once you're in the group, you can also then hopefully one day in a post-pandemic vegan world, we can meet in person the way we have in the past, as outlined in my documentary, Countdown to Year Zero, which you can watch on Amazon Prime if you want to get a sense of what the conversions feels like. It's a lot of fun. So thank you so much. Go to climatehealers.org. Be part of the solution. We can save the world, but we've got to act fast. The clock is ticking. Thank you so much to Andrew and Tacey Trump at Voice America Radio. Have a great one. 
Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week.